0: Welcome to the weekly podcast channel for the Wilmington Church of Christ. We hope that this channel inspires and encourages you to take the gospel to all people, transforms hearts to be like Christ, and trains disciples to make disciples. For more information about our church, please go to wcconline.org. Enjoy the message. Today we're going to continue our sermon series looking at the resurrection uh, eyewitness reports and resurrection appearances of Jesus in the 40 days between his resurrection and his ascension to heaven. And we're going to be focusing our attention this mor- uh, this morning in our study on Luke chapter 24. And this is, uh, you know, the gospel writers and Paul record uh, eyewitness testimonies and eyewitness accounts of the resurrection. And Paul says there was over 500 of these resurrection appearances to over 500 different people. And Luke uh, did this huge study about all the, all the things Jesus did and all the ways he appeared to people. And yet Luke only wrote down three resurrection stories. And John and Matthew and Mark, they only wrote down a few of the resurrection stories. There must be a reason why they only focused in on these few resurrection stories considering how many there were. And, and I believe it's because they want to teach us something very clearly and very specifically about what we need to know in our walk with Jesus. I think they want to encourage our faith and move us closer to Jesus by what they teach us in these stories. And the story today um, kind of follows up where we left off last week. Uh, we left Last week with Mary Magdalene seeing the resurrected Jesus, and then now we're moving away from Jerusalem and we meet two disciples on the road to Emmaus, and that's where Jesus appears to them. This is from Luke chapter 24, and let's see if we can find it. it has so much rich texture, and there is so much here that can teach us, but what I want to focus in on in Luke chapter 24, verses 13 through 35, is what it can teach us um, that we need to know about our spiritual blindness or other people's spiritual blindness, but maybe ours too. And um, how we can start working ourselves closer to Jesus and the way he shows up to take away our blindness. Here is chapter 24 of Luke, verse 13. Now that same day, this is the resurrection day. This is a little bit later because they're gonna walk for about seven miles, which maybe takes two or three hours. And uh when they get to the place where they're going, it's almost dark. And so it's a little bit later in the day. It's after the resurrection morning. And two of them, that now that same day, verse 13, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. As they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them. But they were kept from recognizing him. He asked them, What are you discussing together as you walk along? They stood still, their faces downcast. Have you ever been so in despair and hopeless and sad that when somebody asks you what's going on, it really stops you in your tracks because as you contemplate uh, what is so wrong, you can't move or function because you're so hopeless, such in despair, so experiencing the depression of the moment. That's what happened with these two. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what is more, it's the third day since all this took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning, but they didn't find his body. They came and told us that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the woman had said, but they did not see Jesus. He said to them, How foolish you are and how slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scripture concerning himself. As they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus continued on as if he were going further. But they urged him strongly, stay with us for it's nearly evening, the day is almost over. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. Now, I want us to, to see a couple of things from here. There's, there's a whole lot in this chapter. I want to just give you everything that I have uh, found and seen and, and, and that I have been taught because it's so exciting and encouraging to my faith. But for the moment, let's just focus in on uh, their spiritual blindness right at the beginning of this resurrection appearance verse 16 jesus was walking along and he comes upon them they're walking he joins them in their conversation and they did not recognize him in fact the scripture in verse 16 says they were kept from recognizing him now what could keep someone from recognizing jesus there is something to be known as spiritual blindness Something where our eyes are covered, where we can see physically the things around us, we can continue to go about our business, we can continue to go about our day, and yet we're spiritually blinded to what is real and what is true. Now, what could cause spiritual blindness? I want to mention first of all that it appears in this moment. I don't I don't know what it is, but out of all the spiritual ways we can be blinded, um, I, I want to say maybe it was God who blinded them. God can cause Spiritual blindness, and God can open our eyes to see there 's this really incredible history lesson out of second King 's um, chapter two, and the prophet Elijah has been uh, foretelling the future. Uh, Israel was at war with the king of Aram. And every time the king of Aram went went to move against the Israelites, the prophet Elijah would be told ahead of time by God not to go there. And so the Israelites wouldn't show up and the ambush would fail. And the king of Aram kept getting more and more angry. And he said, do we have a traitor among us that is going and telling them everywhere we're going to ambush them? And they told him, no, the prophet Elijah keeps warning them ahead of time. So the king of Aram, he got smart. He said, well, let's go capture and kill Elijah. So they moved in at night. They surrounded the city Dothan where Elijah was. The next morning, Elijah's servant gets up. He goes out to get the mail and boom, they're surrounded by an army. And the servant comes running back in and he says to Elijah, uh, you know, there's an army out there. We are doomed. Well, they're going to come in and get us. And Elijah said, uh, 2 Kings chapter 2, verse 16 through 18, Elijah prays for his servant. He, he says to the servant, don't don't fear because those who are with us are greater than those who are with them. And he prays that the Lord would open his servant's eyes so that he could see. And after Elisha's praise, his servant's eyes are, are open and he can see into the spiritual realm. He has spiritual sight and he can see angels in their fiery chariots surrounding the army. So here this army was thinking they were going to capture Elisha and all the time, God had sent traveling protective angels to surround that army that had come to attack him. Go to Second Kings today, chapter two, and read this incredible story of how how God is going to come and rescue Elijah. And look at what Elijah does to those enemies of God. It is incredible. See, God was open the eyes of Elijah's servant to be able to see clearly. There's another side of this as well. In John chapter twelve. It says that God sometimes blinds people so they can't see. John chapter 12, here's what it says. Um, for those who did not want to accept Jesus, for those who rejected Christ, God caused them to be blind. John chapter 12, verse 37, it says, even after Jesus had performed so many signs in the presence, they still would not believe him. They didn't want to believe him. This was to fulfill the word of Isaiah the prophet. Lord, who has believed our message and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For this reason, they could not believe because as Isaiah says, he has blinded their eyes and hardened their hearts so that they can neither see with their eyes nor understand with their hearts nor turn or I would heal them. In this instance, as we reject Jesus and reject him as Lord of our life, God allows us to continue down that path of rejecting him and he blinds our eyes where we can no longer see and he and he hardens our heart where we can no longer turn there is a spiritual blindness that god causes and I wonder if that spiritual blindness is what's going on with the two from Emmaus. God moves in and he hides Jesus from them. Now, it could be that the resurrected body of Jesus Christ, because this happens more than once in the resurrection appearances, that is some, the resurrected body of Jesus is somehow changed in a way that they don't immediately recognize him. It's still him, but he is somehow different. Now, I always thought, I always thought that It was because the last time they saw Jesus, he was a bloody, bruised, beaten mess on the cross. And they take him down, they clean the body, they wrap him in linen, put him in a tomb. And when he appears to them, he is clean and whole and healthy. And he's got this new spiritual body that's still himself. And I always thought that was mainly because they didn't recognize him because he was just beaten up so bad the last time they saw him. That was their last picture of him. But I think there's something else going on here. has never been a resurrection like this before. All the other resurrection uh stories in the Bible where Jesus raised from the, somebody from the dead or God raised somebody from the dead in the Old Testament through his prophets, they were all short-term resurrections. They had been brought back to life from death in, in reality. But then they ended up dying again later. Even Lazarus, who Jesus raised from the dead, was going to have to die again, even though Uh, And I think that's one of the reasons why Jesus wept. It's because Lazarus was going to have to die again. He wasn't going to stay alive with this new resurrected body. But Jesus had received a new body. It wasn't his old body, just his old body resurrected and uh, given uh, healing. It was a completely new resurrection spiritual body, spiritual with real flesh. I don't know how that works, and I'm excited to see what happens. But I wonder if they couldn't see because he was somehow different. I think, again, I think it was spiritual blindness. There are other ways we can be spiritually blinded. Uh, Satan can spiritually blind us. In Mark chapter 4, Jesus says the gospel, the word of God, goes out like seed. And some of the gospel will fall on our heart. And it falls on a rocky path. And Satan comes in and snatches the gospel away before a person can believe. And they are kept spiritually blind. We need to pray the prayer of Jesus. Lord, would you keep us away from the evil one? Would you keep the evil one away from us so that he doesn't have the possibility of blindness? And also in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, it says, "...the God of this world has blinded them so they can't see the glory of Jesus." We need to pray that our our eyes are open and that Satan is kept far away and not be able to spiritually blind us. So God can blind us, Satan can blind us, spiritually, our own sin can blind us. This is this is something that um this is something I think we struggle with and we don't realize it because not only does our sin blind us spiritually, but it blinds us to our blindness. We don't know that we're blind. We don't know that we're acting Illogical. We don't know that we're traveling down a path that is going to lead to our destruction because our own sin, our desire for sinful pleasure, our desire to go our own way, our desire to be our own boss, our desire to determine what is good and evil. That's what happened with Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve, God said, there's a tree of knowledge of good and evil. Don't touch it. I'm going to be the one who decides for you what is good and evil. And they went to the tree and Satan said to them, you could be like God. You get to choose what is good and evil. The knowledge of good and evil. You get to decide. And Adam and Eve, took that fruit, and it says their eyes were open, but really they became spiritually dead. Our own sin can spiritually blind us, and then it blinds us to our blindness, so we continue down a path of destruction unless unless Jesus shows up and intervenes. Ephesians chapter 4 says it this way, So I tell you this and insist on it in the Lord, that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do, in the futility of their thinking, They are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Having lost all sensitivity, they've given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity and they are full of greed. Our sin can blind us. Satan can blind us. God can blind us. And I think part of The Cleopas and the other disciples' reaction, not recognizing Jesus, being kept from seeing. I think there's a subtle, there's a couple of subtle sins that they didn't even know they were experiencing. One is the disbelief in the resurrection. Like I mentioned before, no one had ever experienced a resurrection like what Jesus experienced. No one had ever been brought to life with a brand new body that would never see death again. And so they didn't really have Um, a point of reference to believe in the resurrection from the dead, except God had already given them pieces, places to find out in Scripture. In Psalm chapter 16, verse 10, uh, David writes, you will not allow your Holy One to see decay. Well, that's an indication that there's going to be a resurrection from the dead. Someone is going to be resurrected from the dead and their body is not going to decay. Now, that is something they didn't weren't really familiar with, and I don't know that they were reading it correctly. And I think without Jesus and without the resurrection from the cross, maybe we wouldn't understand it either. In Psalm 22, it's another one. Jesus uh, cried out and quoted Psalm 22 while he was on the cross. Psalm 22 begins, with these words, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? But then Psalm 22 makes a shift somewhere around Psalm 18 and 19. It makes the shift from God has rejected me and left me and they're surrounded me and they're killing me to I'm going to praise you with everybody else. I'm going to praise you with everybody in worship about how good you are. There's a shift that happens where the psalmist says, I've gone from death to life. And the clearest indication, the clearest indication is what's called the forbidden chapter, Isaiah chapter 53. Jews today are not allowed to read the forbidden chapter, Isaiah 53. I was just listening to a testimony from a lady, she calls herself the Jewish girl, and she said she snuck and read the forbidden chapter, Isaiah 53, and she said it in her testimony, it was like my eyes were opened. She said, then I could clearly see that there was a Messiah who must suffer and die and then be raised From the dead. Isaiah 53 is uh, this incredible. I want to read some of it to you. I want to show you what I mean by this. So in Isaiah 53, it talks about the resurrection from the dead. In verse 10, it says, It's God's will that he should suffer. Verse 10, Yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. And though the Lord makes his life an offering for sin, He will see his offspring and prolong his days. His life is given up. It's given up as a sacrifice for sin. And yet, for some reason, he's going to be able to see an eternal life after that. Verse 8 said he was cut off from the land of the living. Um, His life was taken away. He was assigned a grave, verse 9, with the wicked. But then, we see in Isaiah 53, after he suffered, he will see the light of life and be satisfied. There is a reference in here to the Messiah dying and coming back to life. I I want you to read the forbidden chapter. See if it doesn't explain very clearly what the Messiah has to go through. See, and these disciples on the road to Emmaus, they didn't understand that. They didn't understand the death to life purpose of the Messiah. Even Jesus said this in verse 26. This is the heart of this little section that Luke writes did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter into his glory? That's another thing these two disciples didn't understand. They didn't understand the suffering. They don't understand God's will for Christ to suffer. They didn't understand Jesus' plan for him to suffer. If Jesus doesn't suffer, he can't save us. Let's go back to that Isaiah 53 before we move on. The plan there in Isaiah 53 is clear that the Messiah is going to suffer, but for a purpose, for a reason. It's not that he's just suffering uh, for nothing. Verse three, he was despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering, familiar with pain. Like one from whom people hide their faces, he was despised and we held him in low esteem. Surely he took on our pain and bore our suffering, yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. Remember the nails that were put into his hands? He was crushed for our iniquities. Remember the thorns that were beat into his head and the whippings that went on his back? And the punishment that brought us peace was on him. By his wounds, we are healed. We all like sheep have gone astray. Each one of us has turned our own way and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Remember in the garden when he prayed, Lord, take this cup from me. God was gonna pour out his cup of wrath on to Jesus and into Jesus, and the scripture tells us Jesus took our sin into him and nailed it to the cross with him. Jesus, through his suffering, puts our sin to death. I don't think the disciples recognized the value of the suffering the Messiah was gonna have to go through to obtain the joy and glory and reward for his suffering on the cross. I think a lot of times we don't understand that we will have to sometimes also be like Christ and go through suffering and come out to the other side to receive our reward. Sometimes we don't even get our reward until we arrive in heaven, and then we recognize that it's all worth it. Paul, one of the apostles of Jesus who had to endure a lot of suffering, he said he considers the suffering in this world light when he compares to the glory and joy that he is receiving from Christ. Now, this was a man who had been whipped like Jesus. This was a man who had been shipwrecked and hungry and starving and poor. This was a man who was willing to suffer for Jesus and willing to join in with Jesus' suffering so he could receive glory. Sometimes we have to go through suffering to get to the other side and get to the joy and reward and glory. And I think sometimes we don't understand that either. It takes Jesus to show up and explain to us all of Scripture points to him. All of scripture points to the suffering he was going to endure. And all of scripture points to the resurrection that he is going to have and then provide for us. That's what happens in Luke chapter 24. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? Verse 27, and beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. Man, I would love to see that sermon. I would love to have it broken down. I bet that was a really good sermon. Last week, I was telling uh, the chairman of our elders, uh, Jake Green, we were having a conversation, we were praying together, and um, I was kind of feeling kind of full of myself, and, and uh, I kind of said, hey, Jake, I, I think last week's sermon was one of the best I've ever preached, and he went, hmm. <laughs> he said, yeah, it was okay. I don't know if it was the best one you've ever preached, though. <laughs> Sometimes it takes somebody showing up and explaining to us and then helping us go through suffering and come out on the other side to receive joy again. <laughs> uh, that's what happened with Jesus here. Now, this is, this is something we need to see. They didn't believe in the resurrection. They didn't recognize the Messiah's suffering before he entered into glory. And so I think that means also they were blind to their own sin. Now, this, is, this one's really subtle. And this one also affects us the most. Look at what Cleopas, look at what they say to him, Cleopas and the other disciple, about Jesus. Verse 21, we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. This is why I think they were kept from recognizing Jesus. This little line right here, I think is their spiritual blindness. I think it's ours too, if we're not careful. That word redeem means to be set free from slavery. We were hoping he would set us free from the slavery of the Romans. We were hoping this Jesus, this prophet, this man, powerful in word and deed, would redeem us and would redeem all Israel from the slavery of Rome. See, these two disciples... All they could see was the pain of their circumstances, and they didn't recognize the sin in themselves they needed to be set free from. True sight and true vision is to recognize that we need to be redeemed from our sinfulness and not necessarily redeemed from our circumstances. Let me say that again. This is something we need to meditate on, and it needs to sink in, and then we need to seek out Jesus. True sight is recognizing we need to be set free from our sin slavery that's within me and within you, within our hearts, and not set free from our circumstances. How many times Let me just rephrase this, because I don't know you. I was going to say, how many times have you prayed to be set free from your circumstances? I don't know whether you've prayed for that or not. Let me just point it at me. How many times have I prayed to be set free from my circumstances when God was actually trying to get my attention to set me free from my own sin? We need to be set free and redeemed from our sinfulness, not our circumstances. That was the point of Jesus. When Jesus died on the cross, the suffering Messiah, he is redeeming all of Israel. He's redeeming and setting free the captives all over the world from their sin. It is only in the second coming that he's going to redeem us from all of our circumstances. In the meantime, he is wanting to set us free from sin so that we can truly turn to him and have true joy and true life. Jesus redeems us from our sinful selves. I I I just have to keep saying this because I don't think it's sinking in. Sometimes um, my wife tells me that just because I keep saying it doesn't mean people are going to believe. Just because I say it over and over again doesn't mean I can bash it into somebody. It's so important that we get this. Jesus came to redeem, to set us free. But he didn't come to set us free from our circumstances. All the troubles you're going through. And the troubles you're going through might be the way God's trying to get your attention so that you would turn to Christ so he could redeem you from your sin. All the trouble you're going through might be the way God is calling you to attention so that you would examine your own heart and recognize your lack of faith and recognize maybe you're pursuing sinful pleasure, recognize that you're not turning your whole life and heart to Jesus Christ. Didn't the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory. And then beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained all of scripture that concerned himself. Jesus is here to redeem us. I think there is confusion also in the way we read our Bible. I think a lot of times we can think that the Bible is just stories about how we can live moral lives, and then be saved. And if we could just be good enough, we can be saved. And that is the wrong way to read the scripture. The scripture is here to point us to Jesus and show about the way he lived a moral life. And that's how he saved us. As they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus continued on as if he were going to go further. But they urged him strongly, stay with us. For it's nearly evening, for the day is almost over. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. And then their eyes were opened. Then they recognized him, and then he disappeared from their sight. They asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? I love the fact that Jesus sometimes shows up and we're unaware I love the fact that when we get together with other Christians, Jesus is there. And sometimes we don't know that he's there, but he is there with us. I love the fact that Jesus shows up in the ordinary. You know, a lot of times our small groups and we encourage everybody to get in the small groups. And and I'll say, hey, your one of your main jobs. If you're going to be a, a member of this church is to get in a group with other Christians. Uh, but a lot of times I'm just disappointed in how ineffective small groups can be. Uh, sometimes I can go to groups for weeks. And nothing changes within me. But all of a sudden, there's like this need to grow and need to know moment. All of a sudden, my eyes are opened and my heart is encouraged and my faith grows because something happens in small group. I know in in one of the small groups I'm in, uh, we're praying and we have a loved one who is sick and we are praying like crazy for the loved one. We have family members who are not saved and we're praying like crazy for our family members. And those prayers and that time with that group has encouraged my heart and bolstered my faith. We had a women's small group uh, last Tuesday night that delivered food boxes to people who just need to pick me up for with food, and it bolstered their faith. We had a women's group uh, this past Thursday. They're collecting for the homeless shelter, and they're collecting uh, food and toilet paper and paper towels. And when they take that over to the homeless shelter, it's going to bolster their faith because they're working and serving God, but Jesus is with them the whole time. Our men's group on Wednesday night called The Cave, they're meeting together to learn how to physically defend themselves and their families because they want to be men that move to action to bring peace. Jesus is with them. And a lot of times, Jesus is with us and we don't know it until after the fact. And we look back and we we remember something that happened when we were delivering those, those food boxes or when we were uh, delivering to the homeless shelter or when we were going to defend our family, something happened that we recognize when we look back. Jesus had been there all along with us. And at those moments when we look back and we realize Jesus had been with us, carrying us through those difficult times, carrying us through those ordinary times, carrying us through uh, those good times, we look back and we remember he was there with us and it bolsters our faith That's what happened with these two. Weren't our hearts burning while Jesus was with us? I love the fact that Jesus, when he shows up and we realize it and our eyes are open, he takes our broken hearts and turns them into burning, ignited hearts of faith. And a lot of times it's just because he's been there the whole time. And we just needed our eyes opened to the fact that he was there. When it happens to you, and when your eyes are opened and you realize that Jesus had been there the whole time, or when you realize that Jesus is with you right now, would you tell somebody about that? Would you be a witness for him? If Jesus brings about a conversion in your life and your heart is made soft and you are your eyes are open and you clearly see Jesus has come to save you for the first time, tell somebody about it. If he converts you, tell somebody about it. If he strengthens you, tell somebody about it. If he encourages you, tell somebody about it. If he um, shows up in your life and he opens your eyes to your own sin and you realize the depth of your sin and the reality that Jesus has taken it away, when you come to that conclusion, tell somebody about it. We are called to be a witness for Christ and when he ignites our heart in that way, we almost can't help but tell somebody about it. That's what happened with these. They got up and returned at once to Jerusalem. I wonder if they ran those seven miles back to Jerusalem so they could tell everybody Jesus really is alive. Would you run to your family and your friends to let them know that Jesus has shown up in your life, that he has opened your eyes to your own sin and he has healed you of your sin, he's taken it away, that he has opened your eyes up to the reality of scripture, that Jesus came to save us and he still saves us, that he's opened your eyes up to the reality that he is our righteousness, that he is our glory and our joy. Would you tell somebody when he strengthens your faith? One way that Jesus gives us to let other people know that we are in him and that we expect him to return to gather us to be with him is through communion. Now, I, I am one of the Christians that believes Jesus shows up to us in a real, unique, but different way when we're in communion. When Jesus says, I am with you until the ends of the earth, he says he is with us right now. And he'll be with us at our death and he'll be with us face to face in heaven. And then when he says, when two or three are gathered in my name, there I am with you. I really believe Jesus's presence is with us. And I think Jesus's presence shows up in a unique way spiritually when we participate in communion. I think we find out even more about how he sustains us when we participate in the bread and the cup. He tells us when we do, we are participating in his body and blood. Now, some of my brothers and sisters say it is only a memorial. It's only a symbol. And some of my brothers and sisters in faith say it's the actual body, actual flesh and actual blood of Jesus. I I don't necessarily agree with either of those. And I don't know where you are, but I really believe that he can open our eyes spiritually through our time of communion. Use this time of communion. Take this bread and remember that Jesus Christ died because he loves you, but he also died because of your sin. Recognize, examine your heart, and see where you need to turn back once again and rely completely on his crucifixion, death, and resurrection to save you from your sins. Would you participate in the bread? I think as we consider being sustained spiritually by Jesus and having our eyes open. He really will sustain us. And would you participate in the cup and remember and continue to remember and meditate on the fact that his blood was poured out for you and covers over all of your sin, washing you clean as snow. And his blood was poured out so that you can be in a new covenant with God, where he declares that he will be faithful to you even when you are not faithful to him and we can entrust ourselves to that promise, would you participate in the cup? Let's pray. Lord, would you open our eyes to the reality and depth of our sin? Would you open our eyes to the reality that you are here with us? Lord, we ask that you would just open our eyes so that we can see clearly. Thank you for being with us today. Thank you for showing up in the word. Thank you for showing up in our small groups. Thank you for showing up when we go and serve in your name. Thank you for showing up in our time of communion. Thank you for showing up in the ordinary. Thank you for showing up in our community. Thank you for showing up to me. Lord, continue to take away my spiritual blindness. Continue to open my eyes to my own sin and my need for you and our, uh, and all of our need for the resurrection power of Jesus Christ. It's in Jesus' name I pray, amen. I don't know where you are in your walk with Christ, but I know we always need to take our next best step. For some of us, that means we need to get in a group And so we can have people explain to us where the Scripture is teaching us and where we've got it wrong, and we get to explain to them what the Scripture is teaching us and where they have it wrong, and we get to come together in unity to see Jesus more clearly. Judy Clay, uh, several months ago, we were in a small group together on Zoom, and I said something from Scripture, and she said, Dale, I don't think that's right. And I said, well, yeah, it's right. And she said, well, I think it says something different. And I said, well, I, I, this is what I've read and this is what I know. And you know, she just left it there and she left me to stew in that. And I went and researched it and she was right. And I was wrong. And I needed Judy to tell me I was wrong. And she was so gentle and so nice about, so kind about it. And she uh, allowed me to know that. And I came back to group the next week. I said, Hey, everybody, Judy was right. And I was wrong. And uh, she, she told me in such a gentle and loving way. And, and, Everybody needs to learn how to tell each other that way. You can look that up on YouTube. It's in one of our our videos, our Wednesday night groups. Um, It's recorded, and we got it on YouTube, and she told me I was wrong, but she did it in a nice way. I need the church to do that. You do too. Maybe your next best step is to get in a group. And maybe it's not just to be told you're wrong. Maybe it's to be told you're right and to encourage your faith. Maybe it's to uh, be included in a community that goes out and serves, and shows the love of Jesus, like we have a small group doing, uh, giving food to the homeless shelter or uh, taking food boxes to church members or even learning to to be able to defend your family. Maybe your next best step is to commit yourself and entrust yourself to Jesus completely. If you have never been baptized into Christ, we want you to be baptized into Jesus, just like you saw earlier um, in the baptism we celebrated uh, last week. Maybe that's your next best step your initiation into jesus in buried in his death and raised by faith to a whole new brand new changed spiritually eyed open life maybe that's your next best step we want to help you would you fill out a connection card and let us know what your what you think your best next step is and we want to help you find it maybe you don't know what your next best step is maybe you have questions we want to help you find it so fill out a connection card Tell us what your questions are, and we'll do our best to come alongside you, walk with you, talk about the scriptures with you, and hopefully we'll have our eyes open to Jesus together. Fill out a connection card. Let us know how we can help, and we will see you next week. If this message has inspired you or encouraged you, we would love if you shared it with a friend. To help support ministries like this one, go to wcconline.org donate.